Welcome to the 153rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look at the NBA Finals, a quick discussion about Major League Baseball division leaders while we're about one-third of the way through the season, and a very quick announcement about the format of the podcast on a going-forward basis. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we'll start in Major League Baseball, and end in Major League Baseball, because that's all Patrick predicted, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his series predictions, bringing him to a 421-294 and 294 overall record, a 58.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, uh, I would say it's a bit unfortunate, because I came into Sunday already 2-0 and in my predictions, uh, and I was just looking for two teams to close out their series in Game 3 uh, to get me an extra win or an extra two wins, and... Both of them had three uh, had at least three run deficits in the top of the first inning already. Um, I had picked the Rays to beat the White Sox, and I had picked the Blue Jays to beat the Twins. Uh, and the Twins had a 3-0 lead, uh, and the White Sox did the same on the Rays. So that was unfortunate. And then uh, both of them made comebacks, but never actually took the lead. So in the end, both of those teams lose in potential uh, series-winning games, but... That could have made me 4-0. Instead, it makes me 2-2 two two because both of them lost. In the other two series, the Phillies swept the Angels swept the Angels fresh off of a coaching change. Um, and the Yankees swept the Tigers because, well, uh, the Tigers aren't that great. But I'm sorry to say I did not have other series to predict this weekend. I figured, uh, I guess I'll just pretend the Tigers are good or at least go back to preseason expectations for a second. They had played... Well, heading into the series, they'd actually taken four or five before uh, from Minnesota, which is part of the reason why I was like, hey, we can I can slide them in as a decent team. And I also picked against Minnesota because of how poorly they had played against really a bad team while the Blue Jays were playing really well against good teams. And then all of a sudden, I was thinking about maybe saying, well, their win streak's going to come to a close at some point, And then right after that, teams typically lose a few of the next uh, next few games after their streaks come to an end. But I didn't expect it to be bad enough for the, them to lose two out of three uh, against the Twins this weekend at home. I thought it would be maybe more of a long-term issue in the future. Uh, but in the end, I still ended up uh, picking it right. So, or sorry, I picked that one wrong regardless. But uh, I did pick that Philly sweep correctly, and I picked that Yankees sweep correctly. My thought process was just that the Phillies would, uh, well, the Angels, we'll, we'll talk about it later, actually, so I won't say too much, but the Angels have been playing incredibly bad recently, um, and I stuck with the theme of, well, if I'm picking a team on an eight-game winning streak to keep winning, I should probably pick the team on an eight-game losing streak to keep losing. Um, it, it went half and half, so that's okay, but the, the Angels were cold, and I picked them to lose uh, the Phillies, had lost five in a row, but then won the end of their series against the Giants before firing Joe Girardi the next day. Um, so I, I guess they had some momentum, and I, I actually picked it before I knew about the, the, the managing change, but uh, I still thought they had enough talent, and the Angels had been playing so bad recently that I thought it was still the right pick to make, so I made that pick. That pick ended up being right. Um, and on the other end of things, well... I was able to pick the Yankees because, well, I knew they were going to beat the Tigers. That one I don't even have to give an explanation for. I think we all knew that. And then 
the White Sox just haven't been good enough recently to trust them against teams as good uh, as the Rays. So uh, I, I I picked the Rays to win that series, um, not trusting the White Sox and thinking I can at least, I think the White Sox are a more talented team than the Rays, but in terms of how much I can trust the team, I'm going to go ahead and say I trust the Rays more to win big series against good teams than I do the White Sox. So uh, that's why I ended up picking the way I did. Um, and overall, I'm okay with the week, but I'd rather be a lot better than that. That wraps up our look back at Patrick's uh, predictions for past weekend. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to the NBA Finals, where the series is tied one game apiece. Yeah, the Celtics surprisingly came out and uh, took game one. Uh, obviously, uh, as we all know, because it was a while ago at this point, that was the fourth quarter Celtics coming out and being better than the third quarter Warriors, which I think had, I think they have the best single quarter differential in the league this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I definitely know they're the best in the third quarter. I do know that for a fact. Uh, but the Warriors outscored 40-16 to 16 in the fourth quarter by the Celtics. Uh, it, it was a close game at half, but the Warriors did have the lead. Or no, actually, the Celtics had the lead now that I think about it. I did the math wrong in my head. It was 56-54 to 54 Celtics at the half, but the Warriors came out uh, and outscored the Celtics 38-24 to 24 in the third quarter to take a 12-point lead into the fourth. Uh, their biggest lead in the game uh, was actually 15, uh, and then the Celtics just came storming back at the end of the game uh, in the fourth quarter, winning the fourth quarter 40-16 to 16 on their way to the game one win, 120-108. Uh, to uh, There were a lot of big contributors in this game. I will say, by far, the biggest disappointment was Jason Tatum's first performance for the NBA Finals, 3 of 17 shooting. Uh, although he did have 13 assists, so his playmaking was still there helping them out. He found other ways to contribute, which, you know, I say it all the time. Whenever a guy isn't contributing scoring-wise, find another way to impact the game, and he did with his assists and his playmaking in this game. Um, but almost not enough when you looked at the end of the third quarter, but in the end it was definitely enough for him to uh, get that going. Uh, but Al Horford was the big surprise, staking his claim early to a Andre Iguodala-style Finals MVP run where you're not necessarily the best player on the team, but if you have the most impact, you're you're going to end up getting it anyway. Uh, he had 26 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. On 9 of 12 shooting, 6 of 8 from 3, a great debut for him. Robert Williams had 8.6 rebounds, 4 of 4 shooting, so that's efficient for him. Uh, Marcus Smart had 18 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists on 7 of 11 shooting and 4 of 7 from 3. And Jalen Brown did the heavy lifting out of the... Uh, Jason and Jalen combo, whatever you want to call them, uh, with 24 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. Not exactly the most efficient, 10 of 23, but not bad either. Uh, Jason Tatum just flat out had a very bad shooting game. Uh, and then Derek White had 21 points off the bench on 6 of 11, shooting 5 of 8 from 3. Uh, and the only other production they got was from Peyton Pritchard, who had 8, and Daniel Tice, who had 3 points. But honestly, not quite sure why Daniel Tice was playing in the game, but... Uh, you know what? It worked for them in game one. We'll talk about what happened in game two in a second. Um, but then you have on the Warriors side of things, I, I hate to say it, but if there were ever a game to blame to blame on only one player, it's got to be Draymond Green in this game because not only did Al Horford, who was pretty much his matchup for the whole game, if not, it was Kevon Looney, but normally he guards the other team's best player no matter 
center or as long as they're a little bit bigger and sometimes even guards too. Uh, but as I already said, Al Horford had a great game. Robert Williams had eight points and didn't miss a shot. Uh, Grant Williams didn't do much. Grant Williams actually didn't score, uh, but they didn't really use any other centers off the bench. So the guys that Draymond were mostly guarding didn't necessarily, uh, well, let, let's say they had their way with him more than most players do. Uh, so Draymond not having the best game for himself and also fouled out of the game while going 2 of 12 from the field. Uh, he just shot too many shots. That's not part of the Warriors' offense to have him shooting that much in every game. And uh, it, it just doesn't feel like that was the game that the Warriors were aiming for was to have Draymond shooting 12 times. He was 0 for 4 from 3. Normally doesn't take that many shots at all. Uh, also, as I said, fouled out of the game. He did have 11 rebounds, 5 assists, um, and the 4 points on the 2 shots that he did make. But overall, and, and he was also over 3 from the free throw line. So just not a great game for him. Uh, but, you know, Steph had a great game. He came out in the first, well, I, I should say he had a great first quarter. 21 points in the first quarter on 6 threes, which was the record uh, all-time in an NBA Finals game for most threes in a quarter. He made 6 in the first quarter, made 1 for the rest of the game. He had 21 points in the first quarter. He had 13 in the rest of the game. He ended up with 34 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists on 12 of 25 shooting, but he was on all-time pace for an amazing game in the first quarter, and then, really, he just he just kind of fell off at the end of the game. It didn't He, he didn't have, really, any impact from the first to the fourth quarter. He still made some big shots, but the, 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 everything beyond the first quarter was not great from Steph, although he was definitely the one who was willing this team to staying in this game and definitely helped them uh, take the lead that they did. Clay Thompson had 15 points on 6 of 14 shooting. Wiggins had 20 on 8 of 15. Uh, you have Jordan Poole, who had 9 points on 2 of 7 shooting. Otto Porter had 12 points on 4 of 5 from 3. And Iguodala got into the game and scored 12 points. So, uh, overall, it, it looked like the Warriors just kind of struggled a little bit. It's hard to put a finger on really what the specific problem was, but they just kind of had a bad game and they struggled. Uh, but, in game two, they were able to bounce back, uh, being the Celtics 107-88. to uh, Really better on the defensive end. I mean, hey, they scored one less point than they did in game one, but still won. Uh, Jason Tatum had a better game. He was 8 of 19 shooting, uh, 28 points for him, 6 of 9 from 3. But Jalen Brown now had the bad game, shooting 5 of 17, uh, while still scoring 17 points with 6 rebounds and 3 assists. Al Horford and Robert Williams who last game combined for 38 points or 36 points, combined for just four in this game. Robert Williams took one shot. He did make that shot, but he only took one shot in the whole game. Uh, and Al Horford was one of four. So though that was a big difference from 26 points uh, for him down to two. It was a, That was really the difference in the game uh, for the Celtics, that they only had one of their stars contributing and then Marcus Smart and Al Horford were not contributing at all like they did in the first game. Marcus Smart also only had two points in this game on one of six shooting. Uh, and then Derek White had 12 points. He was the third leading scorer in the game despite shooting four for 13 off the bench. Uh, but overall, just no one in double figures besides Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Derek White. It was just an offensive struggle, absolutely, uh, for Boston. Then on the other end of things... Draymond had more points on nine less shots in this game. He had nine points, seven assists, five rebounds, only three personal fouls on just two of three shooting rather than two of 12. He was five of seven from the free throw line instead. Um, and in the end, the Warriors come out victorious, 
Wiggins had 11 points on 4 of 12 shooting. Looney had 12 points and 7 rebounds on 6 of 6 shooting. Uh, Steph had, had 29 points on 5 of 12 from 3, 9 of 21 overall. Clay Thompson had an ugly game, shooting 11, shooting 4 for 19. Uh, 1 of 8 from 3, but had 11 points. He, he barely scratched his way into double figures. Uh, but off the bench, you got to talk about Jordan Poole, who had his struggles early on in this game, but at some point right at the end of the third quarter, he made one deep uh, step-in three and then made one ridiculously deep near-half-court shot, I think a 40-foot shot, I'm pretty sure, at the end of the third quarter, and that was really him getting hot, and all of a sudden, 6 of 14 shooting, 5 of 9 from 3, 17 points overall, the second leading scorer in the game for the Warriors, so uh, a good performance from him. Overall, Golden State really didn't play, honestly, that much better offensively in this game, but so much improved defensively that it made all the difference in the world instead of losing by 12. Here they are winning by 20. Yeah, Boston made me look very foolish in the first game. Uh, when we talked about our series prediction, we talked about how, or I talked about how yeah, oh, I don't Golden put, don't State throw me in. Take them. Uh, Celtics don't know how to close out a game, and uh, Golden State knows how to win a game. And here we here we have Boston, not clo- Golden State, not closing out Boston at home uh, in that fourth quarter. So I looked a little foolish after game one. Well, the Celtics though have won in every manner you can win. Um, in in the final in the playoffs so far, I will say. I mean, they've won by blowing the game, but not fully blowing the game. Especially in Game Seven against uh, the Heat, as being the prime example of that. Um, they've had the lead and just kept it pretty easily. They've had the leads and they've been able to, you know, they've had leads and they've been able to just keep them easily. They've had leads that they've kept not so easily, but still kept them. And then they've been down and they've come back to win those games. And uh, this was one of those where they have the experience coming back from from deficits in these playoffs. And here they are again coming back from the deficit. But uh, you, you definitely were wrong about the closeout point, that's for sure. And I do think that I said this series would be close. I leaned towards saying seven, but I still said Warriors in six. I, I, I'm still pretty confident in that. That experience still is important in my head, even though... It didn't look like it in Game 1, but fun fact that I read somewhere, I forget where, uh, Game 1, the team that wins Game 1 is only 8-9 and nine in the overall series if they are the lower-seeded team and they go on the road and win Game 1 at the higher-seeded team. So it's not like it's not like it doesn't matter, but it definitely doesn't matter as much as we might think. So uh, originally, we everybody was oh my god, the Celtics won, it's over, the Warriors are done. Look at the analytics nerds. They're right. BPI or whatever gave them an 80% chance to win the series. They were right, blah, 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 blah. Everybody had to hold their horses a little bit. Here we are to 1-1 series, and now you don't hear any of that anymore because it's the Golden State Warriors, um, and they still have a chance to win the series. Yeah, good news is it looks like we're going to have a competitive series where a lot of people thought we weren't. So let's focus on the positive. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at the NBA Finals for this week. I'm going to throw a little curveball here and talk baseball. Specifically, uh, I want to pose the question to you, and I'll answer it as well, which is about one-third of the way through the season. Let's talk about how likely each division leader in Major League Baseball is to keep their lead in division by the end of the season and um, how likely there may be some teams that are chasing them to win the pennant. So let's start, as we always do, in the American League East. Patrick, your thoughts on this division and how likely it is that the Yankees hold on to that lead and win the division. Well, the Yankees are currently uh, in first place, 39-15. and 15. They have a seven-and-a-half game lead 
on Toronto, an eight-game lead on Tampa Bay, and a 12-game lead on the Red Sox. Uh, I'm leaving out. I will be leaving out teams who I think have zero chance. Uh, so that is why you didn't hear me say anything about the Orioles. But look, as I said, they have a little bit of a bright future. We'll see them in one or two years, maybe being at least in wild card contention. Uh, but for now, they're not really a major player. So I'll say the I'll say the Yankees have a 65% chance of winning this division. I, I just have to say that you know they at this point they have a record that's on pace to be as good as the 2001 Mariners, but with 116 wins because they're the best team. Well, they've had the best start through 54 games, sorry, which is one third of the way through the season exactly uh, since those Mariners. But at the same time, I I don't think that, I think the Yankees haven't gone through their normal health issues yet. And they really haven't gone through not even just their normal where it's, it's a lot of injuries for them that they keep having. And they're kind of unlucky they have been ridiculously lucky in that I can't name a single player who has been injured for them. Mostly they've had guys come back from major injuries and keep pitching. I guess the only one I can think of is Zach Britton, and maybe I feel like I haven't seen Chad Green in a while despite watching the Yankees, but I can't say whether he's injured or not because I don't actually know. Uh, but maybe he is. But other than Zach Britton, I really cannot name, and, and Roldis Chapman too, actually. Uh, but their bullpen has held up nice still without those guys there. Uh, Clay Holmes has a long, long, long scoreless streak, um, just like Tyler Anderson at the Dodgers. Some very surprising names there. Uh, Clay Holmes and uh, Tyler Anderson is the best arms in the Dodgers' starting rotation and the Yankees' bullpen uh, as those teams command their leads in baseball. But that's a different story. Um, look, I-, I just think that it's too early in the season. I, I don't think I gave any team above... Yeah, I didn't give any team above 75% because I think it's way too early in the season to say that a team has more than a three-quarters chance to win a division. So 65% is is extremely confident for this list. I'm giving Toronto 20% of the remaining 35. I'm giving Tampa Bay 10, and I'm giving Boston 5 on the off chance. They go on another huge run. Uh, they've won four in a row to get back to get to 500 for the first time this season. And, you know, if you look at some injuries and then all of a sudden, I mean, if we're going to pretend that the Yankees aren't going to win this division for a second, and you just look at the rest of the three teams, Boston is four and a half games back of Toronto if the Yankees were going to fall behind them. So it's not like Boston's entirely out. I'm only giving them 5% because they are pretty far out. Uh, But I do think that they have the talent to actually break out more than a team like Tampa Bay does. I feel like Tampa Bay is going to be one of those teams that just kind of stays afloat. And, you know, they'll make the wild card as Tampa Bay. They're always going to be somewhat successful, but I think their years of maybe, I won't say controlling this division, but years of being a major division winning contender uh, in this division just don't seem like they're going to keep up. I I think they will make the playoffs, but I don't think it'll be as a division leader. Um, So uh, I go with Tampa Bay at 10 and then I go with Boston at five. Uh, And I think Toronto still can get healthier and their bats can start getting a little bit hotter. And look, we just saw it. They're eight and two in their last 10. They made up a little bit of ground on the Yankees. Um, but if the Yankees all of a sudden don't win six games in a row when the Blue Jays are hot again, then maybe they can actually make up some real ground. Yeah, I got the Yankees with an 80% chance to win this division, um, and the Red Sox don't have a chance. They'd have to leapfrog three teams, including the Yankees. So I don't think I don't see that happening. And then I think it's you know a coin flip between Toronto and Tampa Bay if it isn't the Yankees. So I got the Yankees with an 80% chance uh, to win the division. I don't think that's going out on a limb. 
if they've got a seven and a half game lead. And the best know. record in baseball yeah, and, and on pace to have 117 yeah, and, and wins with, or 18 wins at this yeah, point. Yeah, third of the season in and then. You know, Toronto and Tampa Bay have an equal chance of winning it if it ain't the Yankees. So I, I'll say I, I can't I just can't go above seventy five or eighty percent until at least halfway in the season. If you if we did this at the halfway mark at eighty one games and the Yankees still have, let's say at that point, a twelve game lead and they're still and they still have an above seven hundred uh winning or they still have an above seventy winning percentage, I'll go ahead and give them an above eighty percent chance to win or something like that, but uh, you got to get me a little bit later in the season because we just don't know what happens with injuries. I mean, I was about to change my pick to the Twins. I've been trending to it in different weeks, and we'll get to it in a second, but I'm reading the injury report. They don't have, like, any starting pitchers right now. They have seven starting pitchers on IL, if you include guys who were on there last year, uh, and they have five pitchers out who have started three or more games this season. So, it really, their, their starting rotation is out. Um, well, they might get prospects. Well, they might the start... Yeah, they might get prospects, they might start getting better, but I still don't rely on prospects to help you win a division. And those guys, I mean, you can't do it without Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan. They can't do it without the whole rotation. They need some guys to pitch. Um, so, yeah, I, I just can't, I just don't think that they can rely on that uh, those guys for that long. And despite their great start and the White Sox slump, they're only four and a half games up on the Guardians and they're only five up on the White Sox. So just overall, I just don't, I can't put that much confidence in Minnesota, so I'm splitting the chances right down the middle because the White Sox still haven't gotten healthy enough for me to believe in them. Uh, I'm giving it 45-45 between the White Sox and Minnesota. I'm giving Cleveland a 7% chance, and uh, you're not giving any to any teams below third. You're a lot less generous than I am, I am in terms of giving teams chances, but I'm giving Detroit a 3% chance that they just catch fire. I mean, look, they're only 10 games back, and they played about as bad as you can play. They're like... 50 runs behind the other worst offensive teams in the league. All they need to do is have a bunch of former All-Stars just hit like 250, and all of a sudden, if they're just average on offense, they're already better than the Guardians and the way they're playing right now. They're definitely better than the White Sox, too. They already have the bullpen and the starting rotation in place. All they need to do is stay healthy and literally just have All-Star caliber guys, mainly Javi Baez, just hit better. Uh, so I'm still giving them that little tiny 3% chance that all of those things happen, and the Twins have continued to have this bad luck. But by the way, the Twins with prospects up and everything have been doing just fine. Still 32 and 24 in the year, but uh, you know, I think as the White Sox get healthier, um, I, I, I'm favoring them, which is why even though I split it, I had the White Sox as I said the White Sox first. The order does matter. Uh, they're tied for first, but I'll just say I like the White Sox literally less than a percent more. Then I like the Twins in this division, uh, but it, it's just because of the fact that now Minnesota seems like they're going into the part of the year where they're unhealthy and the White Sox are healthier, um, but the White Sox also play the Dodgers next, so they're, they're probably going to take a few losses and make me look like an idiot very soon. Okay, well, I um, let's start with the Detroit Tigers, my hometown Detroit Tigers, the team I loved growing up. I, I can't give any team that has a 389 winning percentage a chance to win a division. They're still only 10 games back. I, Okay, they're only 10 games back, but they're 12 games below 500. And they don't have a chance. Well, the one thing that, the one so, thing, the reason why I'm saying they still have a chance is because they have two thirds left of the season, and all they have to do is just not be the worst offense in baseball. I mean, they have, they have, an, there's an eight run differential between them and the White Sox, and they're like 20 runs behind the second worst team in the league on offense. 
So they have been about as bad. They've been the worst offense by far. They're worse than the Reds. I mean, we're talking terrible here. And yet still, they're not even that far back. I mean, they're closer to winning their division than the Red Sox are. So Yeah, I get Red Sox zero also. I know, but I'm just saying when you could when you think about it that way, I mean, hey, the Rays are the Rays are only two games or only have two games less of a deficit than the Tigers do. So when you think about it that way, it starts to flip a little bit. And I'm just saying this okay. is a weak division. Yeah, this is Tigers, notoriously the Tigers, weak of a division. The only thing that gives you the Tigers have to also leapfrog three teams. But what gives what difference between them and Toronto, I think. So I'll give you some some credit here is that yeah Toronto's not Cleveland yeah and uh, and Tampa Bay's and, honestly and, and, honestly and if Minnesota you, isn't New York I would but not even that I would say I would take all the three teams ahead I would take all the top three teams in the AL East over any team in the AL Central right, right so now. the Tigers so. if you look at it as you think the White Sox are the best team and the Tigers are only five games behind yeah. them I can see it that way yeah. and so t- t- so clearly you think the White Sox are the biggest chance um, at least a shade bigger than Minnesota. I agree with you. I have the White Sox at 50%. I have Minnesota at 40%. And I have Cleveland at 10%. So, you know, look, you and I both have Cleveland and Detroit at a combined 10%. Um, frankly, I, I just couldn't fathom giving the Tigers a chance at a 389 record, especially when I look at some of the other teams that I didn't give a chance, like the Red Sox were at 500. Some other predictions we'll get to later. But I think you and I are basically seeing this the same way. Chicago is shade better than Minnesota. With Cleveland and Detroit, a combined 10%. We could... I could give Cleveland nine and Detroit one, maybe. And, and I get it. Detroit's closer to Chicago um, than some of these other teams are to the first place team. So um, I, I can see where you're coming from. I just couldn't do it. So, and you know, as you'll see, my picks, I'm including a lot fewer teams and I'm just giving mm-hmm. the winners a much greater chance. I'm probably, which, spe- I'm probably spitting out the numbers more like a computer would, and you're spitting them out as like a as a very opinionated, like debate show type of a, exactly. an opinion. <laughs> exactly. And so speaking of narrowing the field and giving the first place team a much higher chance than you. Let's move to the West of the American League. Well, yeah, I'm, I don't even believe what I'm seeing. But uh, I, I gave Houston a 75% chance. I gave the Angels a 20% chance. I gave Seattle 5%. You asked me this two weeks ago before the Angels lose 11 games in a row. I'm still probably giving Houston at least a 60% chance, but I might make the 60-35-5 and five still. Um, I, I The Rangers are ahead of the Mariners, by the way. I should add that. But... The Mariners definitely have more talent, and they're kind of, they're injured. They're waiting for guys to get hot, and they, they still do have the potential. You've seen flashes from it in certain series. They played, hey, they took two or three from the Phillies and straight up outscored the Phillies, who were very strong on offense, as we know, right before the Phillies went and took three or four from the Dodgers at Dodgers Stadium. Uh, so they have had flashes where they've looked good against teams playing well or good teams in general. Uh, but they just have not been able to sustain it, which is why I'm giving them a 5% chance because they haven't sustained it. That's why they're not getting that much of a chance, and that's why they're 11 games back. Uh, but overall, the Astros are running away with this division right now. They're eight and a half games out of the Angels. By the way, you're giving the Angels a chance despite... Uh, I'll spoil that one. You're not going 100-0 already, but the Angels have an eight and a half game deficit from the Astros, even though they're only in second place. So uh, they're, they're, their deficit's pretty large, too. Um, but also that also surprised me. Well, we'll go back. I'll, I'll let you say your chances and I'll say why it surprises me. But um, yeah, Houston 75, LA 20%. Really, that's just the combination of Houston getting more injured and all of a sudden, instead of having five ERA Reed Detmers, we have no hitter Reed Detmers most of the time instead. And pretty much everything for the Angels like that. Uh, I think even 
Mike Trout was in a bunch was in a large slump. I don't think he hit, got a hit in uh, in Philadelphia in the series over the weekend. So, you know, I'm I'm banking on them not being that bad, but they probably might. I mean, it, it's possible. This is just the Angels' curse as normal. Yeah, I give Houston a 98 percent chance to win this division. Yeah. Uh, I give the Angels a two percent chance. What I think is crazy is that <laughs> you um, let me finish my sentence. Well, I'm not gonna let you finish because. You have the Blue Jays and the Rays, who are seven and a half and eight games back, of the best record in baseball, trending to be the best record of all time in an 162 game season. You gave both of those teams 10, percent but you only gave the Angels two on their own. Because any team that loses 11 games in a row, they they're done. They lost 11 in a row and are eight and a half back. The Blue Jays won nine in a row and are still seven and a half back. The Angels are done. The Angels are back right. to being the old Angels. I all thought right. they were a different team. All right. And now, I'm, yeah, you're right. Though they did fool all of us. I have zero faith in them now, but I can't give the division a hundred percent. I wonder. I wonder if there's someone who can track the record of um, the record of a team from I don't know the the 20 games after their first no hitter of the season and see if any team is as bad. As the Angels have been after that, I, I would I would bet they're probably the worst because again, eleven losses in a row right after they had that crazy week with a bunch of no hitters and their first I think they came back from a four run deficit for the first time in years and whatnot uh, and then all of a sudden now they just forgot how to play baseball because they went to the East Coast or something although they also played Toronto at home and they still didn't know how to play baseball back then so uh, they, I don't know what's going on. But it's more my, it's more of a um, a disappointment yeah. thing right here. I, I, yeah, it's a recency bias. I'm skewed by their debacle of late. All right, let's move over to the National League and start in the East. Well, I'm giving two. T- I'll just spoil. I'm giving Philadelphia and Miami 2.5 percent each because I have tended to give the five percent overflow to the third and fourth place teams. So I'll just do that already. Um, and then as we go to the top of the division, the Mets 37 and 19 after a two-two split with the Dodgers. Uh, taking the back two, so maybe they're going to be hot a little bit going into their series with the Padres. It's going to start now that I will be watching because it's the only good series on um, because there aren't normally good series at, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, but 8-2 and two in their last 10. The Braves have won five in a row and have made one tiny dent in the lead. Now it's eight and a half games uh, instead of probably maybe nine or ten at the end of last week. Uh, still seven and three in their last 10. But because of that, look, they're the defending champions. I have to give them some chance. I'm giving Atlanta a 35% chance, and I'm giving New York 60 for now. Uh, I just felt like when I looked at it, I can't give them more of a chance or the equal chance that I'm giving the Yankees, but this division feels somewhat similar in that there's a few underachieving teams, that mainly being the Phillies, kind of like the Red Sox so far. Um, and then there's the one dominant team at the top that just so happens to be from New York in both divisions. And then you got a defending champion in Atlanta, and then one of the preseason favorites in Toronto in the AL East. So there's some parallels there, but overall, I'm giving Atlanta that 35% chance just on the basis that they can they, they can keep playing better with their roster, uh, and really they they might be very aggressive again this year. Maybe instead of getting an all new outfield this year, they'll get an all new pitching staff because that is what they need. Um, but I think they can get better. I think they will, and I think they'll be very aggressive. At the trade deadline, they'll get better uh, in a lot of places, but mainly the pitching is where they need to get better at this point. But I'm still going ahead, and I'm going to say that Mets 60, uh, Atlanta 35, and then the rest of them 2.5 each. All right, well, I'm giving the Mets a 65% chance. I guess I give the New York teams leading the Eastern Divisions a 65% chance of winning their division, both teams. Um, nobody else in this division has a chance to catch No, you give the Yankees 80 Oh, did I give the Yankees 80? Yeah, I gave them 65. Oh, right, you're 65. Yeah. That's right. Okay, well, that makes sense, actually. 
because the Yankees have more competition. Yankee, yeah, that's why I left. That, that's why I left the Mets at sixty because I just can't. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't sorry. say the Yankees have less chances. I get the Mets less than the Yankees, less than the Astros. Uh, I give them more than the White Sox. That's right. I was slotting these teams, and that feels about right. Mets sixty-five. Atlanta's the only team with a chance, so they get the remainder thirty-five percent. Let's move to the NL Central. In the NL Central, the Brewers are up by a half a game on the Cardinals. They are 33 and 23. The Cardinals are 32 and 23. Uh, Brewers trending in the wrong direction recently, but that's mostly because they got swept by the Padres. Well, not mostly. That is why. But um, the Cardinals playing an easier schedule uh, after sweeping the Padres themselves, though. So I will say, if you're using the Padres as a barometer for these teams, St. Louis is much better um, than Milwaukee at the moment. But St. Louis seven and three in their last ten. Uh, Milwaukee four and six. Not really much to go off of here, so I'm just going to go by preseason expectations, and I'm going to go ahead and say that I am going to give uh, Milwaukee a 55% chance. I'm going to give St. Louis a 45% chance. I think that feels about right. Pirates, Cubs, Reds. Sorry, but no. Yeah, and I think this division, like you, is almost a coin flip, and so I had it slightly tilt in Milwaukee's favor, like you did, but not quite as much. Milwaukee 51%, St. Louis 49%. This division's virtual coin flip. Milwaukee gets the extra percent on its side because they're up by half a game and tied in the loss column. Uh, let's move over to the NL Central. Uh, I'm giving the Dodgers a 55% chance. They feel like, I just feel like there's too much competition in this division to give a team with pretty much the same record, well, I guess a game back of the, of the Mets um, overall with way more competition in their division. It just doesn't feel right to give them the same chance, so I'm giving them a little bit lesser of one. I'm giving the Dodgers 55% now, uh, 25% to San Diego, who's two games back, and five. Uh, sorry, 20% to San Francisco, who are five and a half games back. Uh, all of these teams, five and five in their last 10, so the Dodgers have had their struggles after a long winning streak, and these teams can't catch up, so that's maybe some cause to get, to be very confident in the Dodgers, and obviously the roster itself. Um, but, you know, the Dodgers are starting to deal with some injuries. They're kind of going through it right now, but Kershaw should be coming back soon. Muncy's doing rehab starts and everything, so maybe the injury bug is over soon and all of a sudden back to normal, but it's baseball. It's a long season. I assume that there will be more injuries, and that'll allow it to uh, stay close enough for the Padres to make a little bit of a charge when uh, Fernando Tatis comes back and kind of re-energizes the team, even though, by the way, they're already playing well right now. They don't really need to be re-energized, but still giving the Dodgers the edge in this division. And uh, I'm not I'm not favoring San Diego so much over San Francisco, unlike you. Uh, but uh, for now, San Diego better than San Francisco. And I've got the Dodgers at 60% chance. Um, San Diego at 35 and San Francisco 5. I give San Francisco a chance. I just I don't think they're going to win the division two years in a row, especially with the way San Diego's playing and the talent the Dodgers have. And like you said, the Dodgers have been fighting through their injuries. Goodness for the Dodgers is they got the rough part of their schedule over. Well, if think you think they, the Dodgers have, have been fighting... The, I don't think have to play the Pirates again, so they're tough. Yeah, but if you over. think the Dodgers are fighting through so injuries, the, the Giants the, the, the Giants aren't fighting through injuries. They, like, adopted a new team or something at this point. But, I mean, this might as well be the Sacramento River Cats right now. It's, yeah. it's actually... Their roster is just... I don't know half the players on it. And I follow... Every t- every good team in this division, I'll keep that asterisk on it. Very, very tight. My point is, when when healthy, I would slot these teams the same way, and they're all dealing with injuries, so I slot them the same way. Um, and you stopped stepped on my playing the Pirates anymore joke. But that's well, okay. I'll just say the Padres have one massive injury compared to the Giants having three or four medium, well, 
Compared to Tatis, they're medium sized, but for most teams, they're big. I mean, they're starters who are injured for them. Uh, they don't. They're not allowed to do what they normally like to do with their lineup. You know, right. have Lamont Wade come in and pinch hit to get that clutch home run in the eighth. He's either having a start or he's on the IL. They don't have belt to belt home runs. No pun intended. Well, completely pun intended, but it wasn't supposed to be funny. Um, just vocab choice. Um, you know, it, it's like Brandon Crawford. I think is the only player who I've seen consistently playing, and Wilmer Flores a little bit, but he's been playing first base because. They're slotting in Jason Vossler at third because they have to bring him up from the minors to play instead of people. They traded away Mauricio Dubon to have a catcher for like five days or something. So they've been dealing with a lot of stuff and they just don't look the same. The only thing that does look the same is their pitching staff still looks as good as it did last year. Maybe even better with Carlos Rodon as the ace instead of Kevin Gosman. But uh, I'll let other people make that decision. Okay, well that wraps up our uh, little special look at Major League Baseball at the one-third mark of the season. Um, let's turn our attention. Our last topic on this podcast is actually about the podcast. Patrick has an announcement regarding a format change to the podcast. I don't know if I would exactly call it a format change. It's really a schedule change, but okay. we'll be doing the podcast, uh, regularly one time a week from now on on Mondays because, well, I mean, unless you want to hear us talk about the MLB twice a week, there's not really much to talk about anymore. I mean, by the time it's, what, I think June 13th or something, or June 15th, the finals will be over, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe we'll sprinkle in some season previews of the NFL and of college football along the lines, but or, or along the way there, but uh, for the rest of the summer, there's just baseball on. In past years, we've had, well, we've had the Olympics, um, we've, had, we've had the NBA Finals pushed back about a month, uh, we had the bubble, we had... MLB being pushed back, we had the NHL being late, although we didn't even talk about it, but every event was off calendar, and it actually kind of changed the sports calendar. The MLB is normally not on at the same time as uh, the, well, it's on for the, the playoffs are basically, the NBA playoffs, I should say, are basically on at the beginning of the MLB season, and then last year it was kind of, the MLB season was just starting as the NBA play, as the NBA season was only about halfway through. So everything lasted a little bit longer, and pretty much once the finals ended, it was maybe one or two podcasts of Olympic and MLB talk, and then in the, heading into the playoffs, too, so we also had more to talk about there. Um, and then after that, it was just back to the NCAA, back to college football, and then back to the NFL. So uh, it, there was a little bit of a nicer uh, turnaround last summer, but this year, not going to happen. I mean, what, the NFL starts in September? Uh, college football starts August 27th, I think. And then, you know, so there's going to be 80 or so days from now until then. And it's just mid season baseball. So I don't think, I just don't think that we have the, uh, quite, there's, the, not, the, much content. there's not content out there for us to talk about for 25 plus minutes twice a week. So for now, we'll just be doing the one podcast on Monday where that will just be MLB. So no podcast on Friday. It'll just be the MLB and the NBA Finals next Monday. Um, I'm going into your outro a little bit. But, um, and I will say we might do spot episodes in the middle of the week here and there or even on Fridays uh, that are, you know, preview uh, previews of an entire sport. We might do college football previews or something like that. Different little features here and there, but nothing consistent. And might I also add that the World Cup was normally in the summer, so we actually almost got saved by another weird yearly pushed-around event, uh, that you know, like the Olympics that are normally on every four years, but because it's in Qatar, they're playing them in the winter, so that won't be until late 2022 instead of 
I think they would normally start in actually like a week or two, so we probably would have kept it the same and talked about that as a topic. But at this point, not happening, so there's nothing to talk about, as, not, as we said. There's not that much content going on for the next few months. So we'll uh, take a well-deserved pseudo-break here. Everybody else will take it easy this summer like everybody should. Um, and on that note, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. As we just talked about, please be sure to check out our next, next podcast, which will be on Monday, June 13th where we will discuss Patrick's predictions for next weekend's games and have our weekly deep dive into Major League Baseball, also talk about the NBA Finals. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, which will be published on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings, which will be updated tomorrow. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.